Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hi, my name is Cassidy Zachary. And I am April Callahan. And we are fashion historians. Yep. And co-hosts and the creators of the podcast Dressed, the History of Fashion, which is dedicated to investigating the significance of dress from throughout history and around the world. And we are so excited to bring you a brand new season celebrating groundbreaking fashion figures and exploring the history of everything from corsets to blue jeans. Dress, the history of fashion is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. Baby girl, baby boy, it's your girl B. Simone, and I got my beautiful, pretty co-host, Pretty B. What's up, girl? What they do, what they do, what they do. You guys, this time on the Women of Wild and Out podcast, we got our girl Justina Valentine in the building. What's poppin'? We're continuing the conversation about all the hot topics that matter to us the most. We got amazing guests, the cast of Wild and Out, and more. Listen to the Women of Wild and Out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast starting February 22nd. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm so excited to be back with a third season of You and Me Both. When I started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. And here's what I know. We cannot get through this alone. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. This season, I'll be talking about the state of our democracy with experts and with people organizing on the ground. We'll draw inspiration from some amazing people like Olympic star Allison Felix and Grammy Award winner Brandi Carlisle. 
And we'll get into the hard stuff with writer Cheryl Strayed and my dear friend and colleague, Huma Abedin. So join us, listen to you and me both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Melora Hardin, and I play Jan Levinson on The Office. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me again here on The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, as always, Brian Baumgartner. On the podcast today, as you just heard, we have the insanely talented Melora Hardin. Melora is an incredible actor, and probably more than anyone else in the cast, acting and showbiz was in her blood. Both of her parents worked as actors, and she herself started out as a child actor. She starred, she didn't just appear, she starred in a TV show called Thunder when she was 10, 10 years old. So by the time we filmed the pilot, Melora was definitely the most established performer on set. And now Melora played a kind of unique role in the ensemble, right? I mean, she was the the bigwig boss who rolls in from New York every once in a while. She's not there in every episode, but she brought so much to the show in that role, especially in terms of her dynamic with Steve Carell, which was so hilarious and well, obviously something we discuss at length during this conversation. Unfortunately, because of COVID, I couldn't sit down with Melora in the studio, but even just talking to her by phone was an absolute treat for me. And so, therefore, now a treat for you. So here she is, Melora Harden. Bubble and squeak. You know, I've tried to, as I told you before, I tried to do all these in person. I did Ricky and Steven. Uh, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais the other day, you sound so much better than they do. I don't know what's wrong with London. Well, that's, just because, that's just because I'm better than they are. Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> I'm going to actually, I'll send you later a picture. I am in a room totally by myself. I'm standing <laughs> so that I don't catch coronavirus in this thing. Uh, I'm about three feet staring directly into a wall. It's very disconcerting, but you know, um, all right, Melora, thank you so much, um, for coming to talk to me here. Well, you didn't really go any, you didn't really go anywhere, but so I want to talk a little bit about you before the office. You started as a child actor, right? Yeah. I started acting professionally when I was six years old. So I was doing tons of, you know, guest starring roles. I had done, I think The Office was like my 11th pilot that I had done. I had done many short-lived series. I'd done some movies. And yeah, that's 
and I'd done a little theater too. So I had heard 14, but, but you just said, so the, the office was the 11th pilot that you had shot. What happened to the 10 before? <laughs> it could have been, it could have been the 13th, the 14th. I don't know. You know, to be honest, I've done so many. I mean, a lot of them were like short lived. Some of, some of them were just pilots and then they would get canceled. Um, some of them were short lived series. I was on quite a few series that lived for, you know, six episodes, 10 episodes. Uh, well, I did, I did some shows when I was a really kid. Like I did a Saturday morning show for kids when I was 10 about a black stallion that came when I whistled and together we would save the day. And, and that one was ran for a series that was like 22 episodes. Right. And then, and then I did another one called Cliffwood Avenue kids, which was a syndicated show at the time when shows were syndicated. And I was nine when I did that. And that one, I think, was like 25 episodes. But other than that, most of the shows I did were like six episodes, you know, five episodes, or just pilots that then were that were never picked up. Right. When did you first hear about the American version of The Office? Had you seen the British version? I had never seen the British version. I'm not a big TV watcher in general. Um, and I, I remember it was... I remember it weird and it's weird that I do remember it because I don't, you know, there were so many auditions at that time in my life that it's weird that I remember it, but I remember going over there and I remember it was sort of a last minute thing. You know, usually actors are, you know, supposed to be told the night before so that they have at least a, a night with the, the material. But it was sort of one of those things where I think my agent called and said, Oh, you know, we have this thing for you. They want you there at like two o'clock today. It was like an afternoon thing. I had already been on a couple other auditions or something. I remember walking in, picking up the material, standing outside and working on it, um, and basically going in pretty cold and just doing it, but liking it like right away. And what was funny was that Allison, our, um, our casting director, she had been. I guess she was also casting a pilot at the time that I had been in on the day before. And probably this is how this last minute audition happened was probably through Allison because I had been in for that and they were making a deal for me to come in to do a test for this other pilot. Wow. And um, so I went and I read cold for the office pretty much pretty cold, but I also could, you know, just because I've been doing this as long as I, as I have, you can really feel when the room is like, buzzing with what you're doing like everybody was kind of riveted it was Ken Quapis and it was you know Greg Daniels and um I'm pretty sure Phyllis was maybe there but anyway Allison for sure and so yeah I did it and I remember everybody just kind of being I could tell they were just kind of like huh they were they were really liking you know liking what I did and um anyway so the next I think it was like a couple days later or the next day, even I went in to test for this pilot and Allison came out, you know, where I was the waiting room and it was just me. And she came out and she said, hi. And I said, hi. And she goes, you were fantastic in, you know, in that audition for the office. Now remember the office was a guest star, right? possible recurring character. That's not like just for people that don't know, that's a nice thing to get, but that's not like getting a series, like a, a starring role on a pilot that could turn into a series because that's more money and that's you know better for us as actors. Anyway. So I was like, I said to Allison, I was like, yeah, I said, that was fun. I said, well, you know, I really liked it. Like, maybe I'll get both. And she goes, uh, I really want you to get that one. I really want you to get the office. And I thought to myself, huh, okay, you know, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, she's a, she's a, 
she's a pro. She's been around a long time. <laughs> right. And she knows something, you know, she knows, like she could tell that I think that the office was special. And, um, so I basically just, uh, went in, I read for the other thing. I didn't end up getting it. The pilot did get made. It did not get picked up <laughs> and I ended up getting the office and here we are. <laughs> wow. That's, that is crazy. And when you were originally cast, you didn't think it was a big thing. Like it was a, maybe it was going to come back. Maybe, I mean, maybe the role would come back, but, but you had no expectation for anything long-term. I didn't. I mean, you know, I, as I said, I've been doing it so long that you just, you get to where you kind of have a pretty thick skin and you're pretty wary about things. And I mean, I always tell everybody that I didn't even believe we were a hit. Um, even after we'd won the Emmy, I didn't believe we were a hit until we won the SAG award. And I had to walk around with that like 50 pound, you know, statue all night. And the <laughs> next morning I woke up and my bicep was so sore that I couldn't lift my arm. <laughs> it was like, literally I needed physical proof. And then I was like, Oh, maybe we are a hit. And it was, I just think it like hit me a lot later than anybody else in the cast because I just was, I had done so many things that were like semi successes or, you know, I just didn't believe it. Like I just didn't believe it. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, you know, you were, uh, you know, you were the most experienced film and television actor, certainly in the pilot. And so when you showed up, did you have any sort of first impression of, of the other people in the cast? I remember thinking that it was just really well cast. I remember just feeling like, oh my God, these are just great characters, you know, and I, and I loved immediately. I loved working with Steve. I mean, I would say because of my experience, you can really get a sense very, very quickly of the actors that can, that can play with you and the actors that can't. And um, because all my stuff was with Steve in that first season, I really didn't work with you guys at all. Really. I mean, I had no interaction with you really besides just glancing at you and right. you glancing at me. But, um, but it was like, it was like, I was so relieved and so grateful and excited that whenever the cameras would roll, I felt like Steve was very playful with me, um, on camera, as far as just his ability to, you know, give and take and just kind of be really in the moment and not get thrown by any little new thing I might throw his way. Whereas sometimes you work with more inexperienced actors and you'll do it one way and they'll go oh, you didn't do it like that. Or they'll be like, oh, I wasn't expecting that because the last time you did it more like this, <laughs> you know? And that always just pisses me off so much because I'm always like, oh my God, like, really? Are you kidding me? Right. We can't do it. Like, we can't do it different <laughs> and have fun and play and try new things, you know? But Steve was always just like, you know, just so ready with the bat, you know, to hit the ball however it came. And, and I think we both had a lot of fun with that. I mean, <clears throat> I would hope he would say that he did. I certainly had a great time working with him. Right. I mean, I, it, it's funny because I just started thinking about how so much, yes, as you said, especially early on, but really throughout the show, how connected you were with Steve and how so much, almost unlike most of the rest of the show, you guys played one-on-one -on -one quite a bit. So most of your experience wasn't really with the entire ensemble, again, particularly early on, but really with Steve. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And that was very interesting. Yeah, that was very interesting. I felt, you know, and I felt that, I think even as time went on, there was sort of a sense of not belonging there. 
for a long, long time. Really, I don't think I ever felt like I belonged, really. <laughs> but I think that's probably by virtue of the of the uh, the way that it was written. But I that's not to say that I didn't enjoy everybody and love everybody and feel like everybody, you know, enjoyed me. I did. I don't know. I just felt like the little, like the team, the clan, like you guys were in the office every day together. Um, you know, and I wasn't. I would pop in and out. And when I did, it was always, it was mostly that kind of more private thing, which was maybe by design because Dan is kind of an outsider. <laughs> right. I mean, the other thing that that occurred to me is, you know, we've done a lot of conversation about, you know, the cast of this show and how different it was at this time and place specifically that our witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't want a few extra bucks in their pocket? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower 
power further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Go started, you know, to break the mold and they really sort of leaned into these are real ordinary people who are working in an office specifically in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And it felt like to me that you you and your character though, like maybe it was you being like a New York person, right? Like you always seemed and looked, felt a little more put together, a little more, you know, which really contrasted in a way with, with everyone else who was, who was in the office. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's true. And, and I, and I remember that that was even somewhat of a, of a, of a struggle with Greg. I remember Greg Daniels um, talking a little bit about that, even with me and, and, and with the costume designer and, um, with the makeup and hair people, you know, he used to say a lot, you know, like, make sure she's not too pretty, make sure she's not, you know, like, don't dress her too well, and, you know, take, you know, take the makeup down a little, or, or he sort of, and he grappled with, you know, why would, why would Michael be with someone that looked like and felt like Jan? Like, how would he get someone like her? And that was like, that was, I just think, a thing on his radar all the time because he really wanted it to feel, you know, really real and really documentary and really like we were really peeking in on this, um, these people's lives. And I think, I think that was just always a thing for him. And he was always tracking that and he would talk to me about that. And he always wanted to know what I thought about that. Why would she be attracted to someone like that? And and I had lots of reasons, you know, I, I, it, for me, it was easy to figure that out, but, but that's my job, you know, that's part of my job as an actor. And certainly as a working actor, for as long as I was, you have to find a way to, in your mind, justify kind of anything that that's thrown at you. And so I, I, I had gotten very good at, at knowing how to, how to make something that seems almost unfathomable, you know, real. It's a hard time for hiring, so you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. 
Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They're the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. That security union was reassigned. There was a man there who had just gone in and there was a contract on my life that I was to go home. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, two black firemen stationed across the street and one black police detective who was surveilling King were all taken off the job? What was the emergency that caused you to be moved for another fire station. Sure, there was no emergency. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. What do you think Jan did see in Michael? I feel like Jan was, um, you know, she was really brought up in a man's world. I think she became more masculine in her affects and her behavior than she actually was inside. And I felt like, you know, some part of her was really sort of sad about the loss of her femininity. And I feel like that that Michael's kind of puppy-like adoration of her um, made her feel more feminine and more womanly and more, more like she could just be, you know, softened, softer with him. And, and I think she wasn't, I don't think she was softer with him on the outside. I just think inside his sort of like, he just wouldn't stop coming after her, even when she was a total, you know, bitch to him. <laughs> right. I think that, I think that just made her feel loved and like she could let down a little bit of that masculine guard that she had learned, you know, that learned behavior. Right. Do you think that there was real love there between Michael and Jan? Yeah, I do. I think it was completely dysfunctional, but I do. Yeah, I do. I think she, I think she didn't even know that she was in love with him. (laughs) I think she was. Right. Yeah. There's, um, it's interesting. We, been doing a lot of talking about sort of Michael's search for family and his need and desire to be loved. 
And, you know, for him, his landing the boss, right? Jan, the sophisticate from New York, right? Like that for him is a huge win. And I think, you know, raises himself up in his own mind. Um, but I, I think it was really well said, like that she was searching, you know, sh- she was, she was coming from a specific culture and maybe wanting something different for herself. Yeah. I mean, I think she just was really focused on climbing that corporate ladder and forgot about her, um, her need for, you know, companionship. And I think he was all wrong in every way. And there was something that was like undeniably attractive about that for her. I think she just needed a little bit of shaking up and sort of that, that adoration that he had of her, like just, he just was so proud of, of having sex with her. He was so proud of, having a relationship with her and she was just like you are so stupid but but I like that (laughs) (laughs) right he kind of likes being his trophy even though you know she found him ridiculous I think do you think do you think that she had gotten to a point where she was lowering her standards yeah I don't think she had standards I think she would have I just don't literally I literally don't think she was thinking I think she forgot about her love life I think she probably you know, had had sort of sex, very disconnected sex with like, you know, different executives that she'd worked with. But I don't feel like she really had a real relationship with anybody that was really meaningful until Michael. And I think that my instinct is that like her relationship with her father was probably pretty um, like disconnected. I mean, I think that Greg would say that, that she had lowered her standard. I don't think it was really about standards. I think she just was taken with his, um, you know, let's say Steve's, you know, description of that would be that it was more like an ego fill. I don't know. I don't know what Steve would say as far as if that was Michael's ego fill to be with Jan, or if he really was crazy for her. But I think the way that Jan read it was like, Jesus, I can like keep, you know, beating this, dead horse and it keeps on (laughs) like it makes her feel loved it makes her feel worthy it's just a weird phenomenon right I think Jan definitely you know liked it that she could curl up in his arms and you know on the on the bench on the bottom of the bed where she put him (laughs) and (laughs) she could cry and she could be like I'm sorry and he probably could be like oh it was it was nothing I don't even know what you're saying sorry for you know what I mean (laughs) right right what do you think that their relationship, what do you think that it added or, or gave to the, to the show overall? Well, I think it gave, it gave him a kind of um, like a sexual play that I don't think he would have had uh, necessarily without right. it. And, it, you know, it was really something that Steve and, and I and, and Greg Daniels noticed in the pilot. I remember being at lunch with, with, with all of us, the three of us were having lunch together. And I remember uh, Steve and I and and Greg all kind of saying, you know, there's some kind of an interesting spark between Michael and Jan. Like there's something about them. And we were all like, yeah, if we get an opportunity, if we get picked up, we should really have them hook up sometime at a convention or something. And we were all laughing about this idea that maybe we'd get to have them, you know, have some kind of an affair. So I think there was just a titillation that it added to the show in the same way that, you know, the Pam and Jim love story had a little bit of titillation to it. And, you know, and there were other stories that, you know, 
Dwight and Angela, you know, there were right. things that all happened over time. And I think that created that fun sort of titillation. And, and also because, because the Michael and Jan story was like, there was something really right about it, but also something so wrong. It just, it just, you know, it just, it's kind of delicious. Right. How, how much input did you have on Jan with Greg or the writers? Um, I mean, I think, I do think it was a dance. I mean, Larry Wilmore early on really loved to write Jan and he and I became friends. We're still friends. Um, so we used to talk about Jan a lot, uh, over lunch and stuff. Greg and I talked about Jan a lot, uh, especially as seasons went on, you know, um, Greg was always curious about what I thought about, you know, what I, how I felt she might react to this or that. Um, so that was really nice. And I would say for me, again, you know, just referring back to how long I've been in the business, that was my first experience where writers were really interested and collaborative in television. Uh, and so Greg really, like, that really changed uh, for me just sort of everything that came after that, you know, just the, the feeling of that. And I, I'm not sure, I think Greg was a big, a big part of changing the way writers really are on set, uh, on television sets. I really do think he was kind of a maverick and, and a leader in that, certainly for, for. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't want a few extra bucks in their pocket? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. 
Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. My experience, which was you know hefty at that time, I'd had a lot of experience and I just never had writers interacting on such an intimate way with the actors and just being on set as much as they were, being you know, being so involved and so hands-on and, and really wanting to hear from all of us. I loved that. Gosh, that was just a revelation for me. Right. I mean, often on other shows, like writers are on set to really oversee and make sure that the words are being said right or said correctly. Right. But, you know, I, I, I agree. I think here it was really about a collaboration and finding best answers that we could to, you know, to make something funny or, you know, to make it work better, that it really was collaborative. So that was different for you. Greg was different for you. Yeah. Yeah. And all the writers. And, and, um, I mean, Mindy, Mindy Kaling wrote that, you know, wrote that episode of me singing the baby to the baby because I had just done Les Mis on, on, um, at the Hollywood bowl. And she was so blown away that I had done that. And that, you know, that I had a voice like that. And, she was like, we've got to get you singing on the show and I got to find a way to do it. And, you know, and that it was just kind of neat that they were wanting to really use like what we had to give and they were, you know, finding ways to do it. I mean, you know, and they would take things that we would say and turn them into jokes. I mean, the whole, um, the whole breastfeeding the baby at the office thing for me happened, I think really because I was breastfeeding my daughter at a brunch that we had with Greg and his wife and uh, Steve and his wife at Greg's house. Huh. And I think it made, it made Steve in particular uncomfortable. And I think that Greg was sort of, I don't think he was uncomfortable, but I think, you know, I also felt really like very feminist about that, you know, like, you know, we can carry guns in this country, but you can't breastfeed a baby. And that's like what our boobs are for. <laughs> you know, like I felt, and I think I even said that, at the brunch. And I think Greg just took that and was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. We're doing this on the show. <laughs> uh, and I think the, the Warhol thing also came, I think similarly because of that, uh, because they came over to my house uh, for dinner with Paul Feig and his wife one night. And I have uh, a record cover that I, you know, I have a, a few CDs and that I've made. And one of the record covers of my record called Purr is a painting that one of my closest friends who I've known since I was 12 years old painted for me. And it's a giant painting of me with a whole bunch of kittens. And it's basically a kind of a inspired by a Gil Elvgren pinup painting. And we had that hanging over my couch in our old house. And I remember when they came in, um, 
Greg saying something about it and me saying, you know, what's interesting about that is that is that I wonder sometimes if people think that I think that that's like serious. Right. You know what I mean? Like if people think that like I have a painting of myself over my couch, like I have to see myself every day in a giant painting, you know, and I was we were joking about how, you know, I think it's funny that that for me, it's like a total tongue in cheek thing, but it's also reverence of my second CD and this sort of like, you know, all these very funny tongue in cheek songs that are, you know, that are, that I wrote. And um, so for me, it's like, it's a part of a celebration of something I achieved in my life. That's part of my like passion and, you know, but it also is to me a joke. Like, I don't, I don't think of it as like, you know, like the queen's portrait. But I think he loved that so much. And we had such a long talk about it that then it showed up in the dinner party. And I just remember loving it so much. Like, oh, my God, this is genius. Like, Greg is just so good at spotting where there is an opportunity to just, you know, make a great joke about something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. How much of Melora do you think there is in Jan? Oh, my God, of course. I mean, isn't there? I mean, I think everybody, I think all my characters have me in them for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm them. They're me. Right. Um, I'm a lot different than her, of course, Um, you know, but I think for sure, like the sexuality piece of her is like, you know, I I brought that for sure. I don't think they would have necessarily known that Jan was that kind of I don't think they would have gotten that she was that sexual had I not been playing her. I just felt that about her and brought that to her. And I think I'm way warmer than her. And I certainly, you know way more, way more conscious than she is. I've done like, you know, way over 10,000 hours of therapy. So like I, I know myself a lot better than Jan knows herself. Um, but, you know, but I think uh, certainly there's elements of her that are me and me that are her. Right. That would be weird if there weren't. <laughs> I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. 
Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes! Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. You know, one of the other things I think that the show explores is this idea of the American dream, both with, you know, with love or bettering themselves, like with Jim and Pam or Michael. Um, and, and, you know, specifically the dinner party episode, which is, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe the best episode that we ever did. Um, to me, it, it talked very specifically about the financial strain that we as Americans were really in on at the time. So it was played for comedy, but there were, there was real stuff going on there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was an interesting time. Just even the making of that episode was, you know, was, was right during the writer's strike. So it was a very weird, it was a weird time to be making that episode anyway. Um, we had to stop. We stopped and started again, I seem to recall. Yes. Um, yeah. And we were very, it was very, very, very hot. We were in a little condo over in the valley and it was like, oh my God, it was just horribly, horribly hot. <laughs> it was like 103 degrees or something. Really? And we had to keep turning the air conditioning off so that we would, you know, for sound. So we were all in there just sweating and we couldn't really go anywhere. We literally couldn't really get away from anybody. <laughs> so whatever issues you were having, we were all having them together. <laughs> <laughs> right. You talked a little bit about this before, but what do you think Jan's dream was? I mean, some would say she, she had the American dream at that moment, right? Like she's a CEO of her own candle company and she's singing and she has a man at home that's taking care of her. Right. Like, do you think that that was her dream? Um, yes. Well, I think it was sort of what she thought her dream was. Um, but obviously, you know, it obviously wasn't because she was so tortured in pursuing, maybe pursuing, you know, this idea of an ideal that she thought was going to make her happy. And, but she, what, but it wasn't, it wasn't making her happy because she had more to give than that. Um, and also cause she just wasn't with the right partner. I mean, ultimately Michael is definitely not, you know, he, he definitely couldn't match her. He couldn't meet her. He's not as intelligent as she is. He's not as worldly as she is. You know, he's probably not as sexual as she is. Like, like I remember one time a friend of mine telling me before I got married that there's like four things people need to look at with whoever they're potentially going to marry before they marry them. Basically, it's like physical activity. Like if, you know, one's a couch potato and one likes to hike all the time. That's not going to work out so well. And the other is religion or spirituality. You have to be kind of on the same page there. 
And then sexually, you have to be kind of have the same, you know, similar appetite. And then intellectually, right? So it's like all those things. If you look at any of those things with Jan and Michael, (laughs) they're probably pretty much missing every single target. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Well, her like journey, I mean, on the outside, you could say that she had it all, right? She's a super successful businesswoman in New York City, and then she gets fired for that and falls apart and moves into a condo with her boyfriend, right? But then she kind of builds herself up again, and she has this candle business, and then she has a baby, and then she eventually becomes like a big executive again for white pages. Like, I don't know, there's just something about her searching uh-huh. uh, that is just so interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's sort of, <laughs> it's the wonderful, it's the wonderful element of not enough that she's constantly, she's constantly trying to fill that void of um, nothing is ever enough, you know. Um, Michael's not enough, and then the job's not enough, and then the next job's not enough, and not enough. And I think that I, I think I really infused her with that. That's a, just a thing I understand super well, and and I think it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating and very funny thing to to sort of wrap a character in, sort of that cloak of just nothing ever ever being satisfactory. And I think it's also just, I think to me. Jan is a great example of what a lot of women go through. I think people identify with her because she struggles with, I think, a common problem just in modern day society amongst women, which is this, uh, this idea of not enough of what that is, you know, that what, what are we supposed to be? You know, we're supposed to be able to be moms and successful business women and great sexy partners and money earners and soft and beautiful. And it's a real thing. And I think that Jan encapsulated that in a way that no other character on The Office did. I agree. Her search the entire time was an active search for something better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Other than it being super freaking hot. But other than that, is there any other specific memories that you have from dinner party episode? Well, first of all, I mean, one of the greatest moments of the dinner party was just a purely improvised moment where, you know, where um, I say I'm the devil and I put my hands up and just did that little devil, a little devil um, horns on my head. And that was just something that just literally came to me in the moment and out of the moment. I didn't plan on that. I just, that was just what I was feeling like at the moment and, and, you know, Steve just took it and ran with it and then he was doing horns. And I think it's like literally one of the funniest. And I remember that we were, that we were like, even in the moment, we were like mad at each other and almost cracking each other up simultaneously, which I think is such an incredible line to walk that I think probably is where a lot of the sexual tension lies with Michael and Jan. Right. <laughs> this sort of fighting and fucking thing, you know? Um, and I just, I just think that that was just to me captured in that moment. And it was a real moment. Like the audience is seeing that exactly what happened is exactly what happened, you know? And that's sort of so, so, so fun. And so special when you get that on television, because that's like pretty rare that you get any moments like that on television. That's more of like a theater experience. So that yeah. was pretty cool. 
And then I think just the amount of times that we just all couldn't hold it together. I mean, how much we cracked each other up. And, and I think that just that we were all just the discomfort of being in such a small space, it being it's so hot, we're like all on top of each other. I mean, my God, we just couldn't stop laughing at like Steve, I think must have said a hundred different versions of, you know, getting his tubes tied. Like, I don't, I mean, we just tried so many different ridiculous versions. It was great and so fun. And again, so collaborative and, you know, the writers sort of throwing things in and Steve throwing things out at this, you know, and me throwing some things out. I don't, it was just so fun. It was, to me, it's just like playing in a sandbox that whole episode. And I remember Jenna and I having, we had some scene where I just remember we couldn't, literally it was the only time on the show that I, that I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I don't remember. I think we were just so tired and hot and it was sort of the end of the night. And I think everybody was sent home and it was just she and I and where she's like in the bathroom or something. And I don't remember exactly what the scene was, but it's upstairs and I'm like, and I have to knock. And like, every time I open the door, she opened the door. We both would just burst into laughter. <laughs> and it's like, and that's a very unusual thing for me where I can't get myself together, but I think it took like, I think it took like 10 to 12 takes before I could stop laughing. <laughs> oh, it was, it was not good. It was like, it was got to a point where I was like, come on more. Like I had to slap myself in the face. You know? <laughs> well, I think, you know, a lot of people mention it as their favorite episode, as you, you said before it, you know, it came out of a really, really difficult time in our industry and the writer strike. But another thing that comes up a lot is just how, how incredibly cringy it is. It's that and Scott's tots kind of the two episodes on our show that was the most cringy. And I think the moment that that represents that, to me at least, I don't know, maybe it's as a man, but the snip, snap, snip, snap. Oh, God, yeah. And the idea of being forced to get a vasectomy and then get it reversed and then get another one and that it plays out in public. Um, oh, my God, I know. It's so bad. And then, I mean, also the, the Asabuco that's like not even in yet. <laughs> right. Right. So good. And that everyone's been through that. Like, oh no. <laughs> we really have to do this. All right. I'm going to wrap it up soon. I do want to go back. And there was one thing that last night just, I don't know, it fascinated me. A lot of the times that you appeared, as we talked about before, you were one-on-one -on -one with Steve, but then a lot of times you were one-on-one -on -one with Steve but you were on the phone. Can you tell me a little bit about how those scenes were actually produced? Yeah. So I would come in to set and I would go in the other room and we would actually record me on the phone two rooms away so that we could really have a real scene that was in the moment. Um, and I would actually be on a phone in the other room and he would be on the phone on camera and we would play the scene like that. That's so rare, right? I mean, that you, you know, yeah, right? I mean, because normally you would shoot the scene with the person on camera, and then you, if you weren't on camera, then you would be in a recording studio somewhere recording your side of it or, you know, show up at some time. But the the humor and comedy of those scenes that were playing out, you know, really played out almost as though you were looking at each other in the room. 
Um, I remember you over in the annex, right? Like where Toby used yeah. to sit, you would call in from there and then you guys would get together and have notes and then you would walk back into the other room, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. I don't know. Okay. I thought that was so great. It is. It is. And it, it, it is honoring the real um, benefit of like having two actors there to, to discuss and to be, you know, we're with the writers and like with the director and, you know, we're all kind of a team and it's, it's kind of honoring that human, that human thing that I think we're all really missing right now. <laughs> you know, that human interaction that, um, that none of us can have at the moment with the whole COVID-19 thing. But, yeah. but that is one of the great, you know, one of the great things about our work is that it is so human. It's so, um, it needs humans and it needs our human input. And it, and it needs to be done by humans. I mean, you really can't, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, someday it's just going to be robots. They're not going to need actors anymore. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I think humans connect to other humans and, you know, you can make them as real as you want, but they're still not humans. And, um, and, he, and we're the ones that come up with the surprising truth of, of the moment that makes it so much more hilarious or so much more poignant. Right. Because of what the writers wrote and because of how the actors, you know, find the, the truth in there. So I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot, I guess, just just the humanness of, of what we do and, and how we really rely on connectedness, human connectivity. And, and, you know, we need each other like you need another actor across from you, you know, swinging the bat and hitting the ball back to you and like playing tennis. It's like you've got to have got to have that to make a scene fly. So um, I'm so grateful for, for that on this show. Just the, the, you know, I would say that Steve, he played the game really, really well on camera. I loved, I just loved when, when they would say roll camera. I loved how we played together. I loved how free he was hitting the ball back to me and, and receiving whatever ball I threw him, even if it was a curveball here and there, he would sort of receive it with glee and, hit it back with real fun. And I think that's just because we both have had a lot of improv in our background. And when you improvise really well, you know, you're good at like making those surprises work for you. So, yeah, I think that for me, was probably the greatest joy looking back on the office, the times of the office, just being able to play ball with everybody, you know? Yeah. What do you see as the show's legacy? Gosh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like, such a phenomenon. Um, I mean, I think sort of like any great comedy that's just really memorable, you know, like the Andy Griffith show and Seinfeld and, you know, they, they were kind of doing something that hadn't really been done successfully yet. And they did it in a way that was just right. was just right. And everything about the show, you know, from the writing to the acting, to the cast, to the directors, to the, producing, you know, it just was right. It just clicked. And, you know, who can ever say why? Like, I don't know how, why, because it, I think because it's so, it's really trying to be what it is. It's never not trying to be what it is. Right. You know what I mean? It yeah. was so unlike anything else that was on television or had ever been on television. And I think that is the magic of it. That's the thing that made it be able to uh, withstand this many years and this much success and this much love. Yeah. I, um, 
I mean, you're just so talented and you were so awesome as Jan and your thoughtfulness and incisiveness. And I, I, I just appreciate you so much. So thank you so much for coming uh, to talk to me. I appreciate you so much, Brian. And I, and I love that you're doing this and, um, you know, I'm not really one to, it's funny. I don't really, I, I really wouldn't have thought of talking about this stuff unless you'd brought up the questions. So I appreciate your, also your very thoughtful questions and I appreciate you including me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much to Melora for joining me. That conversation, now it gave me a whole new appreciation for the complexity of Jan Levinson. I just love diving deep into the psychology of our characters. I just love it. And also, snip, snap, snip, snap. Uh, Speaking of diving deep, next week we are kicking off another mini deep dive, this time into perhaps the most important character on The Office, the camera. That's right. We're going to discuss the camera as a character. Now, this is one of my absolute favorite things about our show, and I'm so excited to get into it even more with you guys. Until then, thank you all for listening, and, well, have a great week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Adam Macias. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. I'm Joe Piazza, host of the podcast Under the Influence. If you tuned into our last season, you know that the world of mom influencers on Instagram contains multitudes. Yes, there are pretty pictures and gorgeous kids. And yes, there's lots of money behind a lot of those pictures. But there is also something much more dark and complicated going on in the background. And that speaks to everything that is wrong with how we treat women in the world. On season two of Under the Influence, we're advocating for the women who make content and the women who consume it. We're going into some of the darkest corners of the social media universe, and we might just have a plan to shut it all the hell down. Listen to season two of Under the Influence with Joe Piazza on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Glory Adam, host of Well Read Black Girl. Each week, we journey together through the cultural moment where art, culture, and literature collide and pay homage to the women whose books we grew up reading. It's the literary kickback you never knew you needed. Listen to Well-Read Black Girl on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? 
they're the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. After six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 